four Mac minis. Yeah. Plus, it looks like a MacBook Air. It's the it's uh, it's we we never really Pro. named that thing officially. And one TRS eighty. We don't know what it does. <laughs> I know we bought it at Radio Shack. It's not pop, clear what its purpose is, but it, everyone's scared to you unplug can, it. You can store you can store recipes. Radio Shack used to make computers. Now they I'm, just make remote control cars. Uh, the trouble is that you have to no, store your recipe. batteries too. You have to store your recipe on a cassette tape. Are we? We are recording, right? <laughs> we are indeed recording. <laughs> this is the best improv. We do not want to lose thing? this. Have we started yet? <laughs> We've always started. It's usually forty minutes in when we ask that question. <laughs> Coming to you live from the Stack Exchange headquarters in New York, New York. You're listening to podcast number 41 with special guests, Nick Craver. Hello. Jeff Doggis. Hello. Kyle Brandt. Hello. And those three are members of the uh, Sysadmin team. Uh, I don't know. It's all DevOps, right? You're all, you all, you build and you run. And here at, at Stack Exchange, David Fullerton, our normal uh, host. Yo. Jay Hanlon. Good afternoon. I was just noticing that your last name, Jay, in, in French would just be Alon, which is all, pretty much all vowels. I guess that's true. The French don't like me. Uh, I'm your producer, Joel Spolsky, and uh, uh, the other producer is producer Alex. Hi. Joining us uh, today remotely from our headquarters in Denver, I believe, right? Is that correct? That is correct. I am in the Denver office sitting in the remote interviewing room. What's it What's it like there? Um, I'm looking at a brick wall, and it's sunny. Okay. There's a dedicated remote interviewing room. Is that past the gift wrapping room? <laughs> That's that room's only purpose? It is. It is back by the, by the storage yeah. closet. It's because we have a lot of people who have to take interviews here and do Skype interviews. We do a lot uh, of hiring. We have a dedicated space. Wow. We are going to hire 45 salespeople in 2013, many of them in Denver. Uh, hey, everyone. What's up? Jay, what's up? <laughs> Oh, so Joe, you said you had a long agenda of oh items God. you wanted to discuss with David and I. I we're I prepared to respond to any of them. <laughs> okay, uh, should we, David, should we start with, should we talk a little bit about the, uh, the can data we, why, move? Yeah, why yeah. are there all these uh, systems type people on on my podcast? So, uh, yeah, so everybody's in town are all the, uh, the sysadmins and two of the developers who do a lot of the sysadmin stuff or stuff with the sysadmin team are in town because we are moving our data center. We're changing facilities in New York Okay, from the one that Got flooded. Got flooded yeah. to one un- that is not flooded. It merely went off during during yeah, Hurricane Sandy, yeah. but it was not actually flooded. Yeah, that that has nothing to do with why we're moving. Actually, we decided to move well before the flooding, but or at least one day before the flooding. If I'm not mistaken. No, no, we were planning on moving the weekend after the flooding. The flood. I think, or a couple weeks after, and then but it that got all postponed. got postponed because everything went to. So, for those of you that are keeping track at home, we had our original data centers downtown New York. That's the one that got kind of got flooded out in Sandy, although it was up the whole time and still up. And the flooding was did not actually take it down at, at any point in time, although um, everybody thought we were about to run out of fuel. And so we shut down um, Fogwigs for a few hours. But uh, most everything else uh, stayed up, including some companies like Squarespace that were you. Everybody knows this from the podcast. So I don't, have to yeah, I don't know this. why you're Let's just tell it. the whole story in chronological yeah. order. I, I should. I should. No, we should not I, do that. Too. I, I was born. <laughs> <laughs> in the beginning. <laughs> and during, like, literally during the hurricane, we moved, uh, we failed over to uh, Oregon, where we have our secondary data center, our emergency backup. Yeah, and we're still running out of there. Data center. But now we're moving the New York one, which we were already planning on doing for, well, Kyle, why were we planning on moving the New York data center? We decided to move, I think it was February, so it's been a while. It was capacity. It is almost February now. Yes, it was, a, it was basically a <laughs> yeah. year ago. We were just looking at capacity planning, trying to figure out where we were in the future. 
We realized we need to move from individual cabinets to a cage space so we could have better interconnects. And also that we just needed to be able to add more racks than the right. current one would give us. So That's true. So the data center we're at, which is, by the way, Pier 1, which is, is fine, but it's small. And it's uh, it didn't have a cage available for us at the time. Although, boy, now that Sandy sure did sweep a lot of their customers out of there, didn't they? So there's a cage there now if we want it. But they never had enough power. And when you get a bunch of racks from them, a bunch of separate racks, for some reason, it's hard to interconnect them, which blows my mind. Why, why is it so complicated just to put a 100 gigabit Ethernet cable and just like, like physically drag it from one rack to the next? Uh, you need more cables than that. And they're, the hole is pretty small. So yeah. um, you would just need to run them up and you run through space. They probably would have worked it out for us. But as you start to add racks, it just gets messier yeah. and messier. Didn't we also have, I know Fog Creek has a lot of empty space in their racks because they don't have enough power. Yeah, the new data center, Before we have, um, you know, power is amps times volts, and yeah. we have current times voltage. We have 120, yeah. 20 e there, and we have 208, 30 here. So we have significantly more power. Now we can really fill up the PDUs, with all the plugs, redundant power and everything, mm. and we don't really have to worry about blowing out one of them. If the other one fails, um, oh yeah, because what we had what we had before was each rack had like a PDU, two PDUs with twenty amps each or something. Yeah, and the... you're you're only supposed to use about eighty percent of a single PDU, and a lot of these have two power supplies. So if you lose one, all that power is going to switch over to the other one, right? And then you can overload that one. You lose them both, and you're yeah. So you're it's dead. sort of like hey, we got redundancy, but each one is can can only handle two thirds of the total load. So. <sighs> Uh, you know, I heard a Boeing 747 can fly on one jet engine. It only has one of the four engines. It can still, it can still fly. Although it can't take off, I think. Good thing our servers don't fly. Yeah. Um, yet. yet. <laughs> Everybody thought, thought that joke at the same time. What are we, so now we're trying to move. What, what's involved in that? Uh, we hired movers to do all the de-racking, putting in a truck and getting it there. Yeah. So we laid everything out. And then it comes down to wiring it all up, which is an incredible amount of work. And actually, Nick is probably the best person to talk about wiring because he is incredibly neat. You'll see pictures. We'll have a blog post of everything that he's wired up. And it really looks beautiful. And it's important because you can pull the wrong things when everything isn't labeled carefully. Right. And also when things look good, you just get that sense of craftsmanship. So <laughs> There are sysadmins are, in general, as a class, uh, rather obsessive compulsive about Anal, so what you're looking for? Yeah, yeah, about <laughs> the exact length of particular, particular wires. It's all color coded. You should see yeah. it. What it is color coded? It's, it's color coded, and there's a Excuse label. Me. I'd like to point out if things. you've seen the the Pier One racks, you would know that our sysadmins are not that anal about wiring until now. <laughs> this is a new thing. Well, once you've had enough. But now wait a minute. You, do you did you make your own cables? Uh, no. Um, ah, I did. That I means you cables. were limited. Oh, there are some, yes, there's but not most of them. Okay. If you what I discovered is if you don't make your own cables, then you're limited to multiples of one foot. Uh, even yes. more than that for yeah. color coding. We can only get like sevens and nines in most colors, for yeah. example. So what if, what if you need 6.2 inches? We do have custom colors of every cable. So we can make them, but they're a little stiffer and a little harder to deal with. So we go with what we can if it fits. And then uh, you just have a little piece of, but, but what do you do with the extra eight inches of cable? Uh, like it's got to go somewhere, right? So, so, so there's some horizontal cable management on these racks, and yeah. vertically everything's very neat. So everything exposed is very neat, and then internally it's coiled or not coiled, just loops inside like over loop. over top the uh, the longest ones. So it's easy to add and remove a server, even though it's coiled in there. 
Did you get those uh, extendo arms on the back so that you can yes. slide the server forward while the not only cables come to? And they are a pain in the butt. They're yeah. worth it, um, but they are, there's I, nine cables in our one U arms. So For some reason I started with those, and they were just totally not worth it. Like the number of times you actually could then slide out a server to do something to it was so little compared to the pain of routing the cables through those dumb little arms. It's a it's initial pain versus future pain. We there's have a lot of. Like, um, uh, upgrades because yeah. we're changing things a lot and the main thing is george likes them and he's the main <laughs> person going there so the person that goes there and, and does it gets to decide how they want it apparently so. not on this podcast <laughs> so we can just blame him <laughs> yes george's gonna camp out all right george okay ah so yeah we've got all sorts of uh people around and underfoot this week who normally aren't here they flew in but from all over the country to, uh, to uh work on this to work on the new data center and what's the plan now we're just gonna fail back over uh, yes, it'll be a couple weeks. We've had issues with, you'll see uh, the people using our site will see a yellow screen of death. Not even a nice cat error oh, page, just a straight up, it's like a blue screen of death from Windows. It just says runtime error slash for stack overflow. We've thrown that a little while lately. Wow. And uh, that's due to Windows clustering being uh, buggy, really, really buggy. Okay, wait, so, Windows clustering or SQL Server clustering, or is it the same thing? On SQL clustering is built on top of Windows clustering. So oh, when idea. we boot a server in New York or shut it down for patches, Either direction, mm-hmm. that overflow goes offline for a couple minutes when it comes back up. Isn't clustering supposed to, isn't the whole point of clustering I, that that doesn't happen? Yeah, you would think. But our low availability model is not uh, working well. <laughs> low availability model. <laughs> Are we talking about Joel's plan to go, go out for a day or at least until the Wall Street Journal reports that all programming on the planet Earth is stopped because that overflow is out? If we don't do anything right now, the transaction logs are backing up in Oregon waiting to dispersed to the SQL servers in New York that aren't on yet. So, if so but they've been backing up for weeks. It, you know. yeah. uh, about a week. About four, four or five days. Wait, why haven't they been backing up since, since Sandy? They've, New York has been on in oh. Pier 1. Um, okay. Just dark-ish. Oh, interesting. So they, they haven't actually, like the SQL server in New York has been up. Yes. And they've been, the clustering has been flowing. Mm-hmm. But just during the move, we were down for a few days. Yeah, so we've done it for about four or five days. And actually, I have a timer in my pocket. So now somewhere there's, like, there's some code that somebody at Microsoft wrote that basically says in a loop, in an inner loop somewhere, copy uh, you know all the transaction logs that haven't been received, and they just go unresponsive while it's happening? Uh, they don't go unresponsive. It's, it's asynchronous. So every single thing you do to the SQL server that's active, it disperses that, a copy of that transaction to all the other ones. So it just kind of queues up and yeah. has bandwidth allows goes to the other side it's not very efficient because it just replicates to every node right so we're in oregon it actually streams the same data to both of the new york nodes so we use twice the amount of bandwidth oh i mean not a huge concern but okay because it's not not like it sends it one to new york and then just well why don't you turn on one in new york and then turn on the other uh that will crash it as well it used to be about a 30 (laughs) percent chance of this happening we've changed something that it's 100 percent now so that's fun this almost sounds like why, why do you then want the high-availability solution if in the one instance where you actually need high-availability? <laughs> Turns out we don't. Yeah. Uh, okay. So at Microsoft, we have uh, we, our contacts at Microsoft. We have the clustering team. We have the SQL team. We have the like the Windows clustering team. The guys who wrote it are saying, uh, yeah, it's buggy. Go to 2012, which is what we are. Uh, we made the call 20, to do this after 2008. Okay, so we're going to oh, – that's great. Wait a minute. So that means that we need to port to 2012 in Oregon first. Uh, no. So what we'll do is we'll destroy the cluster in Oregon. Uh, Steve and I will do that tonight. Hopefully, no outages, but it might be down for a few minutes, so we'll do it after hours. Uh-huh. Uh, we'll destroy the cluster on the New York side, and then we will have one SQL server up in New York on 2008 as an emergency if 
Oregon goes south, we can restore back up and get the sites back on with a little bit of data loss. Yeah. And then we'll be upgrading the other box, the second one in New York, to 2012. We'll wipe it and uh, install 2012. Get it all fully stable. Low-level format. Format <laughs> slash whatever. <laughs> Our ultra-secure voting. Uh, so uh, once we get that up and running, we'll do a read-only test, uh, probably even during peak, to make sure um, 2012 is good, handling the load and everything. And uh, once that's up, we'll destroy the other 2008 cluster, the member in New York. We'll make it part of the 2012 cluster. We'll do another test. And then if that's successful, then we will take full backups from Oregon, restore them in New York. And then right before the failover, we'll cut the sites off in Oregon, restore the differentials, just a little bit of data that's changed since the backup. And then we'll go live in New York. If you make a cluster, so I, I might have, you might have said this and I missed how this works, but if you're creating a cluster for the first time in one side of the cluster is in Oregon and one side of the cluster is in New York, isn't there some point at which you have to transmit the entire database yes. uh, across? What if you already have the database on the other side? Is there some manual way you can say, mm -hmm. wait, you already have it? Yes, you can restore the databases manually and leave them in restoring mode. And then oh. what will happen is the database in New York Okay. Uh, if it knows the replica is going to be online, you you tell it that I'm going to restore the database server that already got it, and then it will help. It will hold every transaction after that point, and then it will have that ready to go as soon as that restores complete, and it will take over finishing the job and getting it up to date. Which hopefully won't take more than three or four days with everything not responsive during those three or four days. We'll show <laughs> until, our power to the world, and hopefully the Wall Street Journal writes about it. Okay, we're going to move fast and break things. <laughs> Wait, we're going to definitely that's break things. <laughs> That's that's uh, Facebook. That's uh, did I ever say that? Yeah, you told us to do that. <laughs> we can break just Facebook. That's yeah. overflow. You know? <laughs> damn, damn, damn. Well, it works for Twitter. <sighs> what else is on the agenda, Jay? What else is on the agenda, Joel? Should we talk about 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 the Quick Start Guide? Yeah. About, about. Okay. Yeah, talk about the new about page. So so we rolled out this new about page, which is really more of a, a Quick Start Guide. To uh, it's on most sites now. I don't think it's turned on on Stack Overflow, but it is. It is on. It's on everywhere then. Just go to stackoverflow.com slash about. Quite everywhere? Is it? Is it everywhere? Maybe not quite it's everywhere. many of our sites. All Almost all sites. places. I think all the parent sites. It's on Stack Overflow now. Okay, cool. So you go to the site and you go to slash about. How does anybody, normally do people find this because either they go there not logged on. So and, no one's ever uh, found it before. The, I think, and one of the things what we haven't really done yet is we're, we're in the process of designing a little bit more of a natural path so that new users are kind of sent there. Mm -hmm. uh, I think initially by Dane of uh, the communications they get in the log in the sign up process, we'll yeah. be kind of saying you should start by reading the about guide to get a feel for kind of how we're different. Um, and then ultimately we'll probably be sending unrecognized people there who land on the main page as opposed to an individual question. We'll be kind of nudging them there, I think, with a bar or something. Of so sort. right now, actually, if you go not logged in, you get a hello world in the top right hand corner. Yeah, that's supposed to be for new users, uh, and that goes to about, and then it does say about in the top thing. But once you get logged on, it starts to disappear, and it's harder and harder to find. But it is the first link at the bottom of the page. Wow, along with forty-seven little multicolored. Yeah, so for all the people who are reading every link at the bottom of the page, it's very easy to <laughs> yeah, locate. Yeah, a lot of people. <laughs> um, a lot of people look there. Right next to find a stack exchange store, I think is uh, is where we've put it right now. But um, no, we got rid of the store. It's closed. <laughs> no, I mean our physical, our brick and mortar location. <laughs> oh right, yeah, the store locator. <laughs> the po the pop up, the the truck, the truck that roams the city. Special selling. instructions for people in South Korea. Fajitas. But I think the what's interesting, I think a little bit is is this was this is a new thing, right? So we, we haven't had anything like this. Uh, we obviously had an FAQ. And what this is, and we've spent an embarrassing amount of time doing this, but we're really trying to distill out the absolute minimum that a new user needs to understand to have a good a good initial start on the site. And it, it sort of 
it's one of the things designed to help two groups that sometimes can feel a little bit in opposition, right? So we want new users to know enough to be more comfortable, more likely to kind of fit in and follow the, the rules and the conventions that are a little different here. Right. And we want experienced users to have a more positive first interaction with new users so they are incentivized to be nicer to them. And I think in the past, um, one of the challenges and Actually, we got a lot of really, really great feedback. Uh, this has been distilled down to kind of this nice, easier to read, kind of pretty short list of things you need to know. And uh, one of the questions we got was sort of, it's pretty, it's nice. What do you need it for, right? This was all in the FAQ, right? This is kind of covered. Yeah. And I think that my, my view of that is it's it's sort of like, well, what, what do you think? What do you think Grandpa is going to read the post for, right? He's had that he's had that six volume history of the world on his shelf for many, many years, and he's never chosen to read that. Yeah. It covers every day, not just yesterday. And we really wanted to get to here, right? This is this is a more consumable. I don't understand the grandpa metaphor at all, but that's okay. Well, you see my grandpa. He never. <laughs> but so anyway, we've had a, I think a he's sub- got a six volume history of the world. <laughs> you see, because it. Uh, Let's put it. Let me put it in a non metaphor. People come to Stack Overflow. <laughs> Could it be or a any Stack Exchange site, and uh, they don't get that this is Q and A, not discussion. Because all they've seen on the internet is discussion sites. And we have to explain to them, no, no, this is people asking questions and giving answers. We're not just here to chit-chat. That's the most most important number one thing. And then there's voting and some other stuff. But there's a few ways in which it's so different than other sites. But you don't see that. It's not immediately apparent that chit-chat is not welcome. That's right. And I think one of the things also we struggled a bit with is we're going to have to push people to get to it in the first place. But one of the reasons we focused a lot on trying to make it interactive, interactive is the wrong word, but make it a, a little bit prettier than just a kind of block of text and keep it short, is even if you can articulate to someone very quickly that you're a little bit different, people don't, you know, we talk about people getting, you know, used to, we have low tolerance for the kind of RTFM, you know, re- read the effing manual p- mm-hmm. feedback. But What's important behind sort of just wanting to be polite is also that people don't believe when they go to the internet, they're going to need a lesson to use it. They don't think typing in a box requires them to first learn things. And so what we're trying to get to is sort of this um, very short, very concise, starting with sort of things are a little different here. um, And here are the very few things you need to understand to probably have a pretty good start going forward. And then the hope is that will then give them enough to then go use the site, right? I think, you know, the, the, we think the best tutorial is actually participating, but um, people that try to jump right in, like you said, treat it a lot like a discussion board and have often unpleasant experiences. Cool. And it's all animated. What, what's that about? <laughs> <laughs> well, everyone loves that. Um, there's, there's been a request for more animation, maybe a zoom in yeah. kind of. Uh... The point of the animation, I, I, I'm going to answer that, actually. <laughs> Since I, since I was the one that pushed for there to be animation, and everybody was like, can we just skip the animation? That's true. Like, no, there must be animation. <laughs> That's, that was three quarters of the time spent, was <laughs> arguing about animation. <laughs> and, and, and like five minutes actually implementing it once it was decided. Oh, yeah, was... yeah. The implementation at the end of this was like days. <laughs> the, the arguing over what should be in it and what it should look like was fi- weeks D- David, and you, months. You and I, I should have recorded sessions of us sitting there watching things slide in and debating how quickly they should actually slide. Yeah, yeah it was, it was uh, an embarrassing amount of time. So the point is that, that, that uh, there's a tendency to do this with videos, and, and uh, uh, every Web 2.0 website has on the homepage a video with a little, like that little shaky hand, hand-drawn animation with little stick figures doing, you know, using the app or doing it the way before the, before we had the app, we had to walk to the fax machine and all that kind of stuff. And uh, what, what app is that exactly? <laughs> I don't know, but every site has one of those like, little animations. Yeah, and you don't want to sit there and watch it because then you, you're sitting there with your hands in your lap for like five minutes while you are forced to go through this animation or video at the animation slash video speed, which is very frustrating when you're on the, the net 
and you're used to being able to control the speed at which you experience things and, and speed forward and speed backwards and go back and forward and, and basically choose your own speed. So video is a very frustrating part of the, the internet's experience. So we want it to be text, not video. But, yeah, because video on the internet's not going anywhere. It's That's just, never going to work. It's doomed. It's doomed. Nobody wants to watch videos on the internet. Uh, hey, I subscribe to YouTube. What? Why? Uh, you can get videos. Oh. Yeah. Is that like one of those things where they like email you a funny video every no, day? No, no. You go, like you watch a, you watch a certain video and then sometimes they're telling you to subscribe and they're pointing down. Uh-huh, and yeah. there's a subscribe button and you click that. Uh-huh. And then if you go to the right place in YouTube, it's hard to find, you'll be fed all future videos from this YouTuber. Oh. We should do something like that. <laughs> okay. Anyway, <laughs> the videos are not the way to go, but reading text is boring and people would eventually give up. And so I figured if we had a little bit of animation, this was the theory, people would be kind of at least enjoying the process of scrolling down and seeing, hmm, what will happen if I continue this adventure of, of scrolling? It is quite thing. an adventure. <laughs> and the, the biggest surprise sort of is like near video, the bottom, actually. The when, you get, when you get to the bottom, something yeah. special happens. So make sure you keep reading. Wait, I didn't see the one quick thing. question. I really like it, but where did the the Venn diagram? Oh, yeah. <laughs> the one that says that we're a combination of Dig, Reddit, and and uh, I don't Wikipedia blogs. Like, yeah, I admit and it's a little dated. Wikipedia. The, the problem with most for? the problem with most sites explain what they are is there's not enough set theory involved in communicating <laughs> what the site is about. The there's original. a significant. So it was not a bad way to explain it three years ago. That that when that, Dig existed, the original about page was mostly cut and pasted from Jeff's original blog post yes. announcing Stack Overflow in 2008. Yep. So it was uh, ridiculously out of date. It referred to all kinds of things that were no longer true. Just saying that, that Stack Overflow... I mean, the the, the main distinction it was making was we're a site where we won't put a paywall in front of you and you'll never have to pay for answers, which yeah. was a major concern <laughs> back then, <laughs> right? Was, remember remember those days when about. you were like, man, yeah. I'm, uh, I feel yeah. like I always have to pay for answers. Or at least download and install it, the Quora was different too. iPhone. Right. It wasn't it, it was it was really just trying to announce what we were and what we weren't and what we were about. And mm-hmm. I think that's important. That's part of what the quick start guide is designed what, to what do. What we aren't has changed. What we aren't has changed. It shifted. But I think also it wasn't really designed to teach you the basics. It was designed to help you understand what the goals and the purpose was. And this yeah. is a little bit more of a hybrid. Yeah. Um, but I think like an interesting observation that we got from Meta, which was a great one, was that, you know, in in trying to really distill it down to this most more useful thing, there were some elements of that that I think users highlighted and they were right as really valuable. So there, there was a concept in there that really hit directly on the notion that these sites are built by you. So it's not just these powers we're describing, you can edit, you can do this, but the, the kind of overview, the purpose of all that is that these are community design sites. We are right. more democratic in a lot of ways than a lot of diff- a lot of places. And we're not, yeah. you know, unmoderated, but, and that was a concept that I think was important to people. It's important to who, who we are and what we do. And that, that got a little, that, that was missing. That wasn't hit directly enough. It's and true. so I we do, re-added it. That's do you, back do you ever tell one of your friends that you try to explain about how you work for Stack Exchange and they're like, so you guys sit around writing answers to programmers? <laughs> who do you pay to write the answers? That's what you always get, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah, or something like that, some combination of, isn't that a lot of work, answering programmers' questions? No, we don't actually answer them. We, oh, never mind. Yeah, it is. It, it, as, soon as, you, as soon as you, as soon as that comes up, you know it's not going to end well, because where you're going to end up is, so you don't really do anything, right? You're just, you're just kind of freeloading off these people. I used to like, no, fun. no, we set up the site where people ask and answer each other's questions, and then they, you get the look. Like, Every time uh-huh, I try to explain yeah. so, I still have relatives who are like, do you still have that debugging program? Yeah. By which they mean fog bugs, I guess. What's you that? guys still make Firefox? Yeah, it's a debugging program. I, I, I thought you were talking about Trello. <laughs> no, Trello, I can't even explain. That doesn't even, I can't even begin to explain what that's supposed to do. 
lists of lists. We got uh, we got a <laughs> we got some fortune cookies done up in Trello colors and with Trello fortunes mailed to the office by a fortune cookie company. It was very nice of them. Chocolate chocolate dipped fortune cook, and then they were dipped in like Trello colored chocolate. There was like blueberry chocolate. They were awesome. Wow. Yeah. Wait, wait. Where was this announced? Because my wife, out of yeah. the blue yesterday, was like, "You need to get me a Trello fortune cookie," and I had no idea what she was talking about. I guess you don't follow Trello on Twitter. Yeah, there were some at tweets. Trello, some tweets. Yeah. But she does not follow Twitter at all. I, I'm, I was very confused. That's maybe that's what she wants you to think. Guess so. Does she follow Trello on Facebook? I mean, it's technically maybe. possible. Possible. Um, there's no way of knowing how knowledge disseminates anymore. It was weird. Uh, okay, new about page. So that's out, yeah. And then there was one other feature that went out this week, which was the, um, which was already on the blog, which is the, uh, the upload your profile picture. Oh yeah, that's kind of a small thing, but it's yeah. a part of that. But the the principle is, uh, we we did actually talk about that. I think we covered the whys on that. I think when Jeremy was on, we talked a little bit about why we wanted to do that. But that's that's live. It's yeah, that's out there. So go uh, upload a picture. But not the, an animated GIF because somebody did that and then we had to make it oh, not possible wait, to do that. <laughs> wait a minute. That's awesome. Yeah. You know what you should do? We, we uh, disallow uh, animated oh, no. GIFs now. No, let's not tell Joel other things can be animated if that's possible. Uh, there was a complaint about this on Meta. <laughs> we should allow animated GIFs for like three or four days and then grandfather in the ones that exist. So it'll be like a very, very special thing, which is what Twitter did. There are anime GIFs. If you ever change your picture, that's it. It's gone. So once you get an anime GIF, you're sort of stuck with it. Huh. Or you may lose. You know, we, we could do this for Winter Bash 2013. Okay. For just, just during Winter Bash, you get, you get, you get to the, uh, put an animated... Or just like maybe whenever it's Friday the 13th, you have the ability to upload an animated GIF. Yeah, we can do this on idea. any date in the distant future that you'd like, Joel. Well, we're happy to. Yeah, happy yeah to maybe uh, six to eight weeks from Don't now. Don't you get a little bit of joy when you see an animated Twitter uh, icon avatar? No. No. <laughs> Programmers are weird. <laughs> you guys. Maybe we, we, we won't do that. Jay, we'll just, how about you? You're not a programmer. Uh, no, I prefer must... those. I prefer the multicolored marching ants as a border going around. Dancing ants? Kind of web, web point, 0.95. I, I like the, mar like the marquee ants? text. Yeah, I do enjoy marquee, across the screen. That's, that was always fun. This, is, this is the first step to wrapping cats. It's always gangster wrapping no, cats I mean, at There's the so many things you could do with an anime That could be the little one that we had with all the cat jumping out of the laundry, catching stuff that's thrown into the hamper. Are you going to list all the things that can be animated? <laughs> because... <laughs> <laughs> Until you give me something better to talk about, you you have got the secret list of what we're allowed to talk about on the oh, podcast. My word. Otherwise, okay. I'm just going to go on and on. It's a part of our general trend, though. No, this is good to to try to polish off some of the parts of the Stack Exchange experience that have kind of rusted and that we never pay attention to because they're all kind of new user things. Or you know, once you've been a user for three or four years, you don't notice any of this stuff. Well, yeah, because you set your avatar once, especially stuff like that. You just never, you You've never do that. You've seen what is on the user page? Oh, my God. Summary, answers, questions, tags, badges, favorites, bounties, reputation, activity, responses, votes. There's a lot of things that go on on Edit, the site. Edit, flares, apps, my logins, network profile, mod. The, the, it, is, it is not new information to us that the profile page is perhaps, uh, at least the main page, a, a little cluttered and uh, need, needs some work to be more accessible to the average. It just user. got a whole overview. Yeah, but I, I think the, the profile page is a good example, I think, of something that was designed for our power users, and it serves them well, and it does a good job of letting them access everything they want. What we need, I think, is those capabilities behind a much more simplified version yeah. that will be meaningful and useful to someone who's likely to understand and care about three of those things. I'm of starting those... to see uh, a number of like super simple versions of Stack Exchange showing up. 
where they basically somebody who has designed a Q&A type site or a forum has, uh, let, me, let me let me try to find some of these, has, has adopted like one or two of the principles from Stack Exchange uh, and Stack Overflow because um, everybody knows them now. So there's, there's uh, voting, tags, et cetera. One is the little Q&A that happens on Khan Academy CS curriculum. Have you all seen that? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Khan Academy CS. So you got to get to Khan Academy uh, slash CS. Yeah. And um, if you go in there and you um, and you work on one of the little problems, I'm just going to make sure that this is still true. Maybe it's not true anymore. There's a community questions link on the side. Oh yeah. Okay. We'll find we'll find a link and put it in the show notes. And um, they, you know they have a little bit of voting, but but that's it. I mean, it's not like the whole Stack Exchange experience. There's just a tiny little bit of voting. There's another one I saw. I'll link to it also in the show notes. It's here. It is. It's a veteran veterans Q and A. So it's a site called AdvisorNet.org. ACP-advisornet. That is the weirdest URL ever. ACP-advisornet.org. And it's a site where people that are veterans or people getting out of the military can ask about transitioning to civilian life and, uh, and get answers from uh, either other veterans or, or sort of mentors from civilian life. And um, I noticed that they've got sorting. They have likes, so you can upvote uh, answers, but you can't downvote answers. And um, they have tags. So they've, they've actually copied, like, the absolute minimum number of things from Stack Exchange. To help veterans adjust. We should sue them anyway. We should sue them. <laughs> Let's do that. No. So I was thinking sort of they're still missing kind of a lot of the in-depth stuff that makes a great community, but they're a million times better than if they just stuck a PHPBB on here. And, uh, yeah. So anyway, I just wanted to plug that. How do we get on this subject? I don't know. <laughs> I have do no idea. We wouldn't let you out? talk about animating things. Yeah. <laughs> no, really. We were talking about something else. Avatar oh, upload. Oh, we were talking about how messy our damn users page is because I had oh, gotten on there yeah. when we were talking about changing the image. And it's yeah. just like a big, like, 747 dashboard, which is sort of fun for some people. But there, there is probably a lot of room for a simplified, maybe Apple-like version of the Stack Exchange experience. Maybe Apple will have to do it. Next. <laughs> Moving on. Should we talk about some of the uh, meta questions, David? Either that or I'm going to do an Audible ad. <laughs> Yeah, let's look at some interesting questions. So uh, uh, here's one from the robotics site. Actually. Oh, we're, doing, we're going back to doing questions. Yeah. Let's go to meta, meta.robotics.stackexchange.com slash Q slash 153. Such a low number. Oh, good. Because is it okay to ask your opinions? 153. I'm designing a complex robot, complex robot, and I've got some ideas. Complex robot? Complex robot? How do I? Let's move on. How do I? I'm designing a complicated robot, and I've got some ideas that I want to get opinions on on about before beginning development. Is that okay, or should I make the question more answerable? So this one was interesting. I mean, it was nice of this person to actually ask the question. So the question is, you know, it, it's this problem of um, on a site like this, that's really kind of a lot of the questions you want to ask are, you know, what's the best way to do this, or how should I do this? And sometimes, you know, the, in the past or different times, we've taken a hard line against some of that stuff or some of our users have saying, no, it's, it's not strictly fact-based, therefore it's, uh, it doesn't belong on Stack Exchange. And the moderator here actually does a good job answering this and saying, well, it, it kind of depends how you ask it. If you just ask, you know, what, what arm should I use? Uh, there's no kind of general right answer to that, right? Yeah. What arm should I use for my robot? Was well, the right answer is, well, it depends. Yeah. Um, but if you say, here, you know, kind of here's my situation, here, here are the constraints and the... Yeah, uh, the the problem, this more specific problem is in my case, well, then that's something that we can probably answer. Right, right. And actually, that is sort of a weird thing. So saying, what kind of arm should I use for my robot is 
an example of a question that demands a book in response. Essentially, like you can ask it in one sentence, but the, the minimum viable answer would be, you know, pages long because it would describe all the different types of arms that are available in all the different circumstances. You haven't really said what kind of robot you're building, or are they all making the same kind of robot here? Isn't some robots, aren't they just arms? All right, that doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> They're all the Omnibot from 1982. <laughs> That's all this site is dedicated to, is retooling Omnibots. <laughs> The Omnibot 2000 is off topic. It's a whole nother... We've been debating this internally, right? Because we've been trying to find a way to tell people more clearly and more succinctly what we mean by not constructive. Are we allowed to talk about that yet? Sure. Okay. So uh, we have this not constructive closed reason, which we're not very happy with, the word not constructive, because it's... uh... Not constructive to call someone not constructive. Exactly. First of all, it doesn't mean that much. It basically says, your question is not constructive, meaning it's not contributing. You're You're not really helping by asking your question. And that's just kind of a little bit aggravating to people, but it also is not really specific enough. We're looking for, for ways to try to clarify to people exactly what we want them to do and what we don't want them to do uh, on the site. And we've had this good subjective, bad subjective concept for a while. That's the title of an article by Robert, which we'll uh, link to in the show notes. And uh, at some point, we know that something which is very, very highly opinionated is a bad thing. It's not going to work well in our format, so to speak, where it's sort of like, you know, who are you going to vote for? Now, that's... That's, that's pretty highly opinionated. Uh, what camera should I get? We don't like that kind of question. But there's different reasons we don't like different types of opinions. And it's not like opinions are just wrong. We can't say opinions are bad because, indeed, all of expert question asking is getting people's opinions on what the best way to solve a particular problem might be. Their opinion might be factually correct, but it is still an opinion. Yeah, and I think there's two axes that we found tend to trigger this. So one is the sort of very real one we're worried about, which is to say, if you ask a question where a sort of infinite number of people could produce a near infinite number of answers and yeah. experts couldn't easily come to any meaningful consensus on which of them is better than the other. Right. What can be done about shootings in schools? Right. Is a question like that. There's, there's too many, there's too many answers, answers and you're not going right. to, we, we really are, it's hard to articulate this. What we're often gunning for is questions where if you took all of the most experienced expert people on this topic and put them together, they would have a meaningfully weighted opinion as to which of these answers is better. Right. Wait, that's a good thing. If, if you took the expert people, they have a meaningfully weighted. Right. There, there tends to be some consensus between experts that one way is better than another. Okay. That things are rankable and judgeable, I think, ah, in quality so, against so each that's, other. So that's an interesting gateway. So saying something where the experts will tend to be of the same mind. N- not all the same mind, but I think that it's yeah. measurable. It's, me- it's going to be meaningfully measurable. Sort meaningfully of what- measurably a tendency. Right. And so one problem is if you simply sit, you know, as you, none of these may be acceptable, but as you go from sort of what's the best phone to get, right, on our non-existent gadget site, and then you narrow it down to what's the best phone to get for someone who, you know, is not comfortable with touch screens and yeah. only wants to call, you know, 16 people, it's getting narrower. And hates hinges. <laughs> right. <laughs> it still stinks. But as you get to, um, I'm looking for a phone for my grandmother um, who only needs to call 911 and isn't comfortable with buttons. Now, all of a sudden, yeah. there's three phones that exist like this that are special emergent. Yeah. We might not allow that question anyway, but it's it's heading in the right. <laughs> no, no, it, it, it depends on the site. It depends. So on, on, it's a good effort, but we're going to close it anyway. Like, on, I think, but at least it's not non-constructive. Right, well, but it, now it's, it's too localized because it only applies to your grandma. 
it's getting answerable, yeah. right? Is, is the you point. You can't win on stack exchange. <laughs> but I think, so one question is really, to, to what extent is it sort of everyone's got an opinion and none of them are really any better than anyone else's? That's the bad end of the spectrum. Right. And the, the better end, obviously, is where, you know, almost everyone who really knows what they're talking about may not know all know the right answer, but they'll all know it when they see it. Most of them will agree when they see the best answer, which it is. Right. Uh, that's that's the one axis. The other axis, which I think is the, the sort of uh, the confounding one, the one that can throw us off sometimes is we've done some analysis of previously closed questions is things sound opinionated and that's part of what the answer here is getting at is kind of both those things is um i I mean there's a challenge where someone will simply say like what is the best thing to do this Mm -hmm. and if they shift their approach because it actually to do this might be very very narrow and answerable that may not get received well you run a much higher risk of that getting closed than if you shift it to i'm trying to implement something that will best optimize for this thing i'm trying to do What's the best approach? It's the same question, right? It's just, we found there are some trigger words and phrases where to the extent you make something sound very opinionated, um, it can push you a little bit uh, down the scale, right? The actual kind of answer. Well, we have been training our users for many years that opinions are bad. And so they will tend to, they see you apparently asking for the best or the shopping list or the poll or anything like that. Uh, Those users sort of have a a well-rehearsed trigger finger that will fire. It's also, I think it's also has something to do with kind of being an expert, right? It's that there are certain ways of asking a question that a real expert wouldn't, they just wouldn't ask that question, right? Like a robotics, no robotics expert would ask, what arm should I use for my robot? Right. Right. That's just like a, that's a signal, that's a signal that you don't know anything about robots. Probably. Um, Yeah, because it's too broad. Yeah, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of different guidance here. One of them is the proportionality of the, now, there is a good answer to, to many of these semi-opinion questions. So you could say, what arm should I use for my robot? And you could get kind of an encyclopedia of arm choice, which would say, if you're doing this, get that. If you're doing this, do that. If you're doing this, do that. And here's how you decide. And that would be an awesome answer to this question. The person who asked that question would love it, and that would be a great thing on the internet. However, 99 out of 100 times, you don't actually provoke that answer. So it's possible to rescue a bad question with an amazing answer. Well, and that's, I think that's, that's the truth. Have we, did we, we already talked about, did we talk about that um, do-it-yourself question here? Endlessly. With the wires? We did. Okay. No, what was the do No. So that was, a good, so. that was a good, we talked about the on startups one, I think. The do-it-yourself question one of the, the One of the challenges we have. <laughs> How do I diffuse a bomb? Which wire do I cut? I, it's, that's not the, that's not <laughs> the. always the blue this, one. There's this bomb in my house. <laughs> Green wire, red wire, I don't know. But sometimes the answer actually. Here's a picture. The answer actually tells us more about whether the question was too opinion based uh, than the question did, which is ah, challenging. That is That's a problem for true. us, right? So we've talked before, I think, about how, like on startups, right? Your 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 canonical answer to sort of how to split up equity, I think, was one where that question might have been borderline or, or too opinion based, too broad. There's a million ways to do it. Then your answer was, I think, so compelling that it no longer felt that way. Um, enough sucking up to you. Let's talk about the do-it-yourself one. Um, yeah, let's link to that question in the show notes, too. But s- someone asked a question on do-it-yourself, basically. Oh, no, I'm sorry, on English. It was on English. And the question was essentially, I'm I'm describing wires, and the wires are you know, yellow and black, yellow and blue, yellow and red. Should I call them yellow, black, or black, yellow? <laughs> and people uh, obviously wrote, this isn't a real question. There's like, there's no answer to that. Who, who cares? This isn't about English. There's no right way or wrong way. This that's is actually, silly. But that's not true. Well, well, you're right. Uh, my, uh, it there was initially very cl- specific adjective ordering in English. Well, not not between two colors. I don't believe. Well, um, that, but they, there's a reason to be confused by that. If you're in English, you learn you definitely you always say a big blue ball, and you never say a blue big ball. No, no, but okay, always, so always, always. You're always. correct that we can understand why someone might think there is a difference. Yeah, so it's a legit and you question. could argue the answer is there is no difference, and it's yeah. just kind of a mediocre question that is answerable. But it, it actually is a better question than that because the answer that they got, because the person explained they were writing a manual, the answer they got was you need to lead with black and blue and red and not yellow. 
because you're describing to people which wire they're using. And so the, the variable that is changing is the relevant one. And so the yellow is actually not really meaningful. It's an add-on. It's the other word that is conveying which wire it is. And so there, there's actually a very compelling right answer that elevated the question. The question was a better question than it appeared once you saw that there actually is an approach that's significantly better than what seemed to be a completely, it seemed, it seemed irrelevant. Uh, I think it was a good question to begin with. Be, okay, but it got better. And I think, you know, one of the things, yeah. you, you mentioned training our users, and I think um, as we've been investigating these closed questions and, and looking at uh, some of what happens, we had some interesting interesting observations. I think two localized, maybe a more interesting one to talk about that had some real challenges. Yeah. But well, Now, when you say training, just to make it clear, this is not like having a class where our users go and they learn something. This is more like conditioning our users. We give like them a treat. It's like dogs. Do yeah. Exactly. It's like yeah. you just shout words at them <laughs> until they randomly do the thing you want. Exactly. And, and then, then you, you give, give them a treat. A treat and then they start thinking, okay, yes. it must have been that thing I just yeah, somebody, did. Somebody you need a little randomness. Up. Like once a year, we hit John Skeet on the nose of the newspaper just to keep him <laughs> keep him working for it. Yeah, yeah. Somebody told me, Taco. I was a very well-behaved dog yesterday on the street. I couldn't stop laughing. He's like, oh, have you trained him to heal? I'm like, no, he's a terrible dog. I pull him half the time I have to pull him. It just turns out for the block that she was following me, he was being good. So training, yes. So training. So uh, we've been localized. We've been looking hard. We've been looking hard at our closed reasons and, and ways we can make them clearer. We can give more better feedback. We want we want users to understand better when something is closed, right. why it was closed, and what they would yes. what they could do to fix it, or in theory, what they would not ask next. So time. wait, before you go to too localized, yep. we did touch on uh, not constructive, yep. and we're going to work on that, right? Yeah, so we're in the process of really, what we're trying to do is really take all the reasons we close questions that we still believe in, which is pretty much all oh. of them. The, the, the fundamental reasons we created these closed reasons are still hold. We want we want to close questions that don't belong here. But what we're trying to do is, is re-bucket them so that the label and the feedback that people get actually clearly teaches them in most cases that when you get it, you may not like it, you may not agree, but you will know what the community wanted you to do instead. Yeah. Um, yeah like exactly. it or not. Um, and that, that's really the key goal. Um, and just a matter of explaining ourselves better. Not constructive and too localized are examples of things that either don't mean what, what right. the w word means or like to, to somebody from outside a community, they just like, what? Uh -huh. Right, not a real question is another yeah. one that just, oh, yeah. the, t <laughs> the title is, is both both hurtful and not very clear. Um, it's so fun to close something is not a real question. We're changing that, so now it's- Dude, says, get a question. <laughs> this is a question site. You need a question, surprise of admission. We're shifting to more of a, you don't seem to be a real user approach. We think that'll be nicer and make people- mm, Yeah. We're not doing that. <laughs> Are you a spam not bot, a close uh, reason? So we've been we've basically been running through old closed questions. We've been surveying. So we, we actually ran through a couple of hundred closed questions. And we asked uh, people, uh, first employees, and now we've, we've actually had some moderators uh, volunteer to, we asked them for a favor to run through them. And we've been analyzing sort we, of- We volunteered them. We volunteered them. But they, they went along. We could make them. We threatened them. Uh, <clears throat> we took the biscuits away. But- um, Yeah, there's free biscuits for moderators. I don't know we, if people realize <laughs> You that. haven't gotten your biscuit shipment. We, we ran the internal one. We finished that one. And what we were really looking to get at really was the distribution a lot, see which closed reasons were used more often, and see if new reasons we were considering that we thought were clearer would cover everything. We, we discovered something else that we weren't actually really looking for, because we basically asked each person to say, do you agree this should have been closed, or should it have been left alone, or should have gotten a comment or edit? And then, because we wanted to then say, and if you thought it was closed, pick which of these new reasons you think might cover it, see if we had gaps. And mm -hmm. one of the most interesting things, we weren't looking for this, is a much larger percent of questions that had been closed on sites and had stayed closed, were not reopened, 
we found that our employees and in, in the initial review, the moderators also felt should not have been closed. Um, and that we didn't expect that. That was that was a little bit of a surprise. Our, our general belief is that most questions that are closed should be. And that, that's actually true. Most should be. Um, but a surprising percentage turned out to be questionable, where uh, we looked at on Stack, we separated Stack Overflow and Stack Exchange. It's very different communities and in, in kind of maturity. But on Stack Overflow, we had two different internal people look at it, and 13% of the closed questions, both people said should not have been closed at all. Mm-hmm. That's, which, a, that's a lot. That was a lot. And on 39%, almost 40%, at least one person felt it shouldn't have been closed. Much higher than I thought. And these are um, these are primarily recent questions. It's not the whole, the whole universe. One thing I tend to believe, which I've said on this podcast about a billion times, is that if somebody gets a question, comes to Stack Overflow for the first time, or Stack Exchange the first time, asks a question and gets it closed, that's enough of a negative experience that they're going to be seriously soured from the site for a long time. And that's it's true. my opinion. We, we think it, I should say we think it's true. I, I, unpleasant experience. I, I believe it. We're desperate to test it. There is a there's a little bit of a selection bias problem. Uh, unless we, we'd have to arbitrarily close some people's questions to properly A-B test it, which doesn't <laughs> yes. seem right. And then we'd have That's to go true. find them in real life. But uh, it, it is safe to say that people whose qu- first questions are closed are much less active. Part of that could be because they had less to contribute to start with. Yeah. But yeah. I, I agree. It's hard to separate that out. If your, fir- if your first question was closed, you're... Likely to not no. be a very good contributor. Well, uh, no, but the thirteen percent that get questions closed wrongly, then just get pissed off and say this is a snobby community full of and it jerks. It, it yes. doesn't take and long. Those exist too. To find people you know who are smart and reasonable who have gone to the sites and had bad experiences because their first question happened to be closed, and mm-hmm. they just have this view that they're sort of not welcome there. Mm-hmm. Um, who are clearly people we believe could add. I think who we want. Yeah. But anyway, so as we went through these numbers, I won't, I won't bother with all of them, but um, we did find that some closed reasons are sort of more equal than others. So too, too localized, if we break those out, then g- general reference is kind of a special case I won't play, but too localized questions, at least, uh, sorry, 60% of the questions closed is too localized. At least somebody felt should not have been, at least yeah. one of the reviewers. That was one of the ones where, the, first of all, the word is wrong. Localized means translated, you know, converted to a different locale. And so too localized doesn't even make sense because it's sort of a, you either are or you aren't. You can't be a little bit pregnant. You can't be a little bit localized. You're either localized or not. Great, great, great programmer. This is, a bi- <laughs> this is a binary function. You're trying to solve a tertiary problem so with the, a binary function. The word isn't even, the, the phrase isn't even grammatical. And what I was actually trying to say is like this, it refers to a very, very, very specific time or place yeah. uh, was the original intent of that thing. No, I think the well, maybe. I think the original intent was help me fix my code. No, well, I don't remember. Three... I think the original intent was like when is when, when is you know the next version of whatever coming out, which is not going to be true. That's what Jeff always uses as example of too localized. Too localized covers three things. I think we've, we spent a lot of time. there's three different cases it's applied to, and I think all were somewhat intended by when it was created. So so one is it refers to a situation that is deemed too narrow geographically. Right. Okay, so I have this problem with a computer right. that could only happen on the block I live on. Okay. Right. Um, there's another question that is sim- similarly too narrow, but based on happens. based on time. Yeah. So this is a le- would be a legitimate question, except that its answers will only be relevant for too short a period of time, whatever that until means. tomorrow. Like I'm at this conference and there's this special software they're using for the conference. Right. And the and third I need to to use it. is that it's deemed too narrow in that the answers to this question are likely to help too few people, i.e., only you or you and one or two other people like you. Yeah, um, and which I, is bizarre because we have we don't really have a consensus that that means that you can't ask it on Stack Overflow. That's right, and I think it's important to highlight 
at the end of the day, we value questions that help many people much, much more than right. questions that help a few people. And right. we value questions that help a few people more than we value questions that help one person. But the only reason we would really want to stop questions that hurt one person is if they were overrunning the rest and getting in the way, yeah. I, in my opinion. And I, I think what we found, one, is they're not that common. Um, it's not that big of a problem. It, doesn't, it just doesn't happen very much. It annoys people when it does sometimes. But I think one of the challenges is even if we agreed what the threshold is, it's got to help at least X people, it's very hard to know when it really is, which is to say that a lot of these problems are someone describing their very weird, unique situation they're trying to fix. But the, the fundamental thing that is the problem in it may well help other people. Right. And so th those are hard, but more importantly, they're trivial. They're not very common. The geographic one is a good example of where we said, like, th these questions appear to be closed erroneously. Two localized questions are twice as often seem to have problems. In we were getting, I kept seeing this all over the place. People closed a question. It started with somebody asking a question about programming jobs in Montreal, I yeah. think. And, and on the ground, that's the first time I Part saw it. Part of the it. problem was it was on the robotic sites. There was a lot of, yeah. <laughs> My robot in Montreal. Uh, no, another one was <laughs> on server fault. It was a question about Wi-Fi standards, which they decided was too localized because, and of course it created a debate, because it applied to United States Wi-Fi standards, which don't actually apply outside of the United States where there are different Wi-Fi standards. And that was maddeningly idiotic. But that's what we've found is if you if you are describing a situation and you it's one of those weird ones too, where if you explain, if you add detail like we want you to, that explains that this appears to be relevant in this I saw one yesterday that was closed as too localized because it referenced India. And I was like, yeah. 300% more people there than in the U.S. Big like, this country. Is a big chunk of the world. Yeah. But we've sort of trained people that if you're asking about a thing that only happens in a certain place, that's probably too localized to shut down. And the fact that that place is four continents doesn't seem to right. be obvious to a lot of people. And so I think that the geography one, again, the fundamental issue there is it's not that common a problem. Which this is, is a part of, right. And this is a part of the bad training, which is that the, right. the thing that that closed reason was doing was training people to look for any kind of question that mentioned a place or right. time. Exactly. And There's then, triggers. Bing, ta -da! And then, yeah, they were just like, yeah, I can close it. Hurrah! And uh, that's, not what, that's not what we wanted. No. And so it was obviously creating a lot of mistakes for not a big problem. Right. And then I think the time-limited one is interesting, and it's more complex. And I, I think we're still trying to get our heads around the way to think about it. But I think if we were to summarize what we really want is we want to make sure that there's a way that questions that become obsolete are marked as such. That's really what we're right. interested in. And the challenge in the current approach is the truth is almost all questions that are asked about programming or anything else we talk about, not anything, but most of our topics are time limited, right? So people get that, you know, if you're talking about this developer, you know, beta patch on an Apple release, well, that's too localized. It'll be gone in two weeks when they roll it out. Right. Okay. But then what but you it's get, still really important, right? This minute. It's very helpful now. And it's also really important that we remove it from the internet after it stops being important. Right. And then what about what about a beta that goes for a year, like Siri yeah. or Google does? What oh, about yeah, an operating work. system, right? That's, yeah. You get into this notion of everything, almost everything is going to go stale. It's almost like what we want a better way to do is to indicate when something appears to be either dead, and we don't want to talk about it anymore, or just a historical reference. It no longer appears to be up to date. This has been deemed sort we of- We probably do want to delete those, because those are actually kind of attractive nuisances in the sense that one of the things we talked about in the early days of Stack Overflow is that the problem you would have searching for a particular problem on the internet, on Google, is that Google would upvote or it would raise in page rank the oldest pages. And so if you were looking at a particular problem with a technology that is now in version 12, you would get a lot of clutter from version 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. Right. And the thing has changed since version 8, but you still got all this old clutter. And Google kept ranking the old clutter saying, oh, this is a very old site, must be prestigious. And that would be the one that would, uh, uh, would come bias. up first. Survivor bias page rank. Kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's sort of the opposite. And so when certain things change, for example, um, you know, 
the use of uh, something's changed and not everybody changes right away. Things like there's now reference counting in, in Objective C, and you see uh, an awful lot of discussion about doing things the old way. And that stuff is actually a nuisance to people that are trying to do it the new way because it will tell them to do things that they shouldn't do anymore or that they, you know, are just distractions or are now downright wrong. So maybe having a way to close something is obsolete later, you know, after the fact, which is not insulting to the opener, but just simply flags it as obsolete. Right. And I think if we can move towards a system that, that allows us to better capture things as they go out of date, what we actually will have is more sort of at the moment useful information now and not get into this sort of weird debate of sort of how long do we have to believe something will be true for us to allow it to live right now? It's true right, right now. Right. Um, I, I think generally speaking, you know, for more than a few minutes, it, it may be helpful to keep around if we can make sure that it's not going to be cluttering up things afterwards. Yeah. It's not, it's not that it's bad to have, I mean, there are certain, some of that stuff stays around forever and with programming languages, especially like, I think there's still people that are maintaining visual basic 6.0 code. And that's a 12 year old. That's a right. language that hasn't been updated for 12 years now. And the code could be 20 years old, um, but they're updating it and they, you know, they need to make some tweaks and the compiler still runs and it still generates code that runs. And, you know, you're not going to rewrite, you know, an old app. And so that, that there are still people working on that. And honestly, uh, in languages that are basically the, of that age or earlier, we don't even have a great archive of that. You still, you kind of have to go to experts exchange or something to get the answers to some of those questions. And they're still valuable. Right. I think that we kind of a back catalog. We want to differentiate between ga gaming brought up a great example of a thing that's really dead, yeah. which is they said, what about when games issue a patch and they can't, you know, those things yeah. don't exist anymore. And I'm like, what are you talking There's about? Things, so yeah. I have the old version No, but they're talking about like, like morgues, right? Where you've got like world of Warcraft changes. Yeah. The Facebook, system the to Facebook rebalance. The API just changes. And then there's things that you can no longer do with the Facebook right. API. And the, it's like your that code does not run. Right. That stuff could actually yeah. legitimately be deleted, I think, reasonably, because it no Correct. longer is relevant to anyone on the planet. Yeah. Um, we might get subpoenaed. Who knows? That's true. We should put it in the Library of Congress and then delete it. We will put it somewhere safe, like the box. So, okay. So, two localized guys, uh, misused, and um, feel, I feel like there's a, a coda coming. There's a conclusion to this. So, well, I think what we should do is um, we've got a whole lot of things where we're look, we've we spent a lot of time looking at a lot of ways we can tweak and improve the closing system to, to really keep keep what it's supposed to do, right. but eliminate a lot of the pain points and the, the nasty stuff that is both frustrating for people emotionally and also doesn't teach them what we're trying to teach them. Right. And I think what may make sense, we'll, uh, I think we'll be ready at our next podcast probably to talk about announcing a couple of the things that are specific changes that we think are rolling out that we're already starting to work on, and there'll be a couple more coming after that. But um, the, the high level, I think, from this is we're definitely looking at the bucketing and these reasons. And I think we're pretty close to having a good proposal for the ways we're going to sort of reposition, rename a lot of these and, and move right. around so that the, the information the users are getting teaches them something. Are we still going to, uh, we, we talked internally about the idea between distinguishing between a closed reason where we're closing your question because it's kind of irredeemable, like, please don't ask that here, and a closed reason where you probably just need to fix your question and then maybe you can ask it. Uh, yeah, so we, we're doing a bunch of stuff around that, uh, both the kind of way it's positioned and also what it means. So what, one of the things that we, we learned is um, both in the way our system actually worked and in the message people heard, um, closed seemed to mean you have been shut down, you're not welcome here and we don't want to talk about this any further. Mm -hmm. um, and to be fair, it didn't say that, right? There was feedback that actually said, go read more here. And But the, the front message was closed. closed. Actually, it actually told you, go read the fact. And then yeah. when you went to the fact, the fact said, go read the fact for more information. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, the facts did go read the facts? Yeah, it was this weird thing where we were like, <laughs> we like copy-pasted some code. So the fact <laughs> itself just said, go check out the fact for more information. Yeah. There was like kind of a lot of random post to blog posts. It was very hard to track down the information you need to figure out why you were being shut down. 
So um, the problem was when you tell someone they're closed, th- their initial reaction is not, well, gosh, what can I learn from that? What could I have done differently? Yeah. They go, why? I shouldn't be closed. This is a good question. Right. It, it makes people want to debate yeah. is one problem. And the second problem was even people, forget the emotional response, people that did behave constructively. So they go, they get it. They happen to not have gotten upset. They, they understand or they go read the fact, referring them to the fact, and somehow they figure out what they're supposed to do. There wasn't a great way for those questions actually to get a second chance. Mm-hmm. A bunch of people already decided they should be closed. If someone does actually go and improve it or fix it, or just even disagrees respectfully, I think it was misinterpreted, there wasn't a lot to save them. So we have a reopen queue for a while now, uh, since I think the summer, but the problem with the reopen queue historically has been things don't get into that unless someone happens to stumble upon it, read a closed question, and decide they disagree and mark it for reopening, and then the reopen queue shows other people, do you agree? There's a couple of things going on. So so one is we're looking at shifting the headings around these to give a better message back to the original user that we've now showing you what you would need to do to fix this. We're being much more specific, hopefully, and saying if this were narrowed down to an answerable amount, if this were had additional details, we could understand exactly what's wrong. Uh, we could probably help you. The question is not going to say close, they argue. We're, we're, we're looking at, uh, at titles that are more along the lines of on hold, where it basically says, hey, we actually need you to make an update here so we can help you. Yeah. And the difference your, your is instead of- can't be answered until- Right. So it's no longer saying you've been shut down and here's why. It's saying we need another action from you to move this forward and help you. You're actually still in the forward motion process as opposed to have, having crashed into a wall and yeah. being debating the wreckage. Although really you've been crashed into a wall and at this point. <laughs> yeah, so many of them will, will crash into the wall eventually. Um, there is a certain tendency to type a question into Stack Overflow and then to kind of ignore it. Some some people have you're just sort of not paying any attention, not responding to anybody. Just kind of if they don't get an, if they get an answer, they're happy. But if they get just further question follow ups, comments saying, right. "Can you follow up?" There is a certainly they found their answer, or they've moved on, or they've forgotten, or they're lazy. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so uh, the 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 communication will be much more along the lines of, "Hey, there, there's a next step now. We need to do something." And then the other mm-hmm. thing that uh, that we're adding is. Um, it actually, there will be a trigger. So now uh, if someone does go in and improve their question, people go in and edit, that will proactively push it into a review queue, the reopen review queue. So by, by simply improving your, making an effort to improve your question, people will then proactively have it put in front of them to say, hey, this thing's been improved. Can we reopen it now? Does it look better? Um, and that'll create a real kind of path for questions uh, that are savable to be saved. And we're, we're opti- we don't think that'll save most closed questions, but actually the people who are most frustrated, who actually had a good question to ask and had a very kind of n- negative experience, I think were the ones we, we uh, do value and, and could really add to the site. Does this exist yet, this reopen queue, or is this yeah. a new thing? Actually, that, that part already is, uh, that part already exists. So the reopen queue has it's existed for a while. Right now, and it, but it's, it's when something has received one reopen vote. It, no, but, no, but we already did the part where uh, if it gets edited by the original asker after it got closed, you get thrown into the reopen queue and we ask people, hey, yeah. should this be reopened? And if they say no, then it goes away. But there's not a say tremendous yes, and it gets amount of reopened. stuff in that queue, actually. So well, you, it just you, gets cleared really fast. But yeah, yeah so it's, it's not very reviewed. much. You will actually get reviewed. The volume Absolutely. is really low. Yeah. The, the, and we looked at this before. You know, it's... The, the well, right now we don't tell you to edit it. We we don't wow. kind of indicate that this that this happens. Oh, so the number of people who these. sort of just you know organically go back and decide to try editing their question to make it better is pretty low. Um, I think it's like twenty something a week. Leave closed. Leave closed. Leave. Here's a person that just went in today and just said leave closed on ninety six different. Uh, Questions that were threatened to be reopened. To, to be fair, many questions that are closed, most questions that are closed probably should be closed. But. Right. I mean, it, it's a hugely biased sample there, right? Five people have already decided this should be closed. Therefore, it's very likely that it should be closed. Yeah, but is this person seriously saying that? Not, well, I think this is a, this person has a vendetta. <laughs> and and to, we, we, 
we have experience. Right? I'm and suspicious a here. A lot of these cues, some people do seem to be, and we have ways to try and catch us, but do seem to be running through and hitting the same button over and over again. Yeah. But to the question about, it, I think it's important to highlight that these queues, for the most part, get reviewed quickly, with the exception of Stack Overflow's Close Votes queue, which has a backlog that's slowly getting cleared out. Pretty much every queue is cleared out just about every day. Um, th these these get gone through. See, here's a good reviewer that's actually reopening stuff. Yeah, if you look at the if you look at the recent history, which only we no, can see, most through, people can't see. Sorry, I'm just clicking through on various. Uh, oh, it's just can can moderate. Yeah, that's secret. No, like here's a person that on their reopen votes they reopened a few things. Yeah, but there's other people here that if you go through their reopen votes, it's just everything is leave closed. They just went through and clicked leave closed on a million things. They didn't reopen anything, which almost questions what you're. They're not happy people. These are <laughs> they just do not like things being opened. We okay. should send them a cookie or something. It seems like um, maybe that maybe uh, there's a difference between something <laughs> receives five closed votes and one reopen vote should be put in a separate queue. Then it receives five closed votes, got closed, and then got edited by the original user. Like the very fact that they edited it might mean we should be scrutinized in a slightly different way. That is exactly what we're doing. Yeah, I'm confused. Okay. Fine. So, so one. I'm sorry. I thought it just went into the same queue. With no, no. The, so not everything. Not everything queue. that's closed goes in the reopen queue. Nor, nor should it probably. Right. So, m uh, the majority on any. Side no. Of anything that's closed and edited. Yes. Goes into the reopen queue. Yes. But it should go into a re the reopen queue in a different state or with a flag saying the hey the person edited this check check. Yeah, we edit. do. We say that, and, and it's, it's fairly obvious because we show you that we show you a totally different view because we show you a comparison of what it looked uh, like before and, and after. And okay. to, to clarify, you're differentiating things that go to the reopen queue because one person clicked reopen, yeah, versus, versus. things that go in because they were edited. And there is a nice again yeah. if you read it, which I think in this case these are pretty high end users who are using the review queue. Um, there is a nice dialogue that basically says this question has been edited subsequent to being closed. Please check to see if it should be reopened or something like that and do they get a okay so there's there's i think decent communication on that and so we, we didn't make a big deal about this what's going to the re, uh, the reopen queue because again it was a minor change kind of behind the scenes and what's feeding the queue but um we're going to look at some of that data but it, it does appear at least to, to my anecdotal view it's not hard to go through your, your meaningful number of things are getting reopened through this process which wasn't happening much in the reopen queue before because so little was going into it okay but the uh, aging tweaks as well Aging tweaks. Aging tweaks. Yes. Uh, well, you just mean on, on close Cl votes? Close votes, which will greatly affect the size of that queue and the monotonous. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the close votes queue. So we've got this. Uh, so so cl the way close votes work is kind of complicated uh, and convoluted in that they uh, they have this aging process. The original idea is once something gets a close vote, it's got five days to get the rest of the close votes. Otherwise, those things start aging away. A close vote only lives for five days. Then we have the problem where somebody would vote to close on a question that isn't getting a lot of traffic. It's kind of old and somebody just stumbled across it. And nobody else would even see it for five days and that vote would age away. So then we said, okay, well, it doesn't age until you get a certain number of views on the question and then it starts to age. But the result of that was we end up with now, I think we have 60, about 60,000 60, questions with a close vote. Um, so we just need to fix that. And basically we're, we're going to just set a hard cut off there. You, you get... I don't think we've decided the number of days yet, but what we're tossing around is you know ninety days or something. If it's had a close vote for ninety days and nobody else has bothered to vote to close it, then we just age that away and stop caring about it. We think the behavior will change slightly when the queue gets down to zero. Then anything with a close vote is going to get more eyes immediately versus never. Yeah, we've got this huge queue of things with close votes right now that we really need to just get rid of a lot of them. And on that note, I think we've got a huge uh, queue of the podcast has been going on for a long time. <laughs> yeah. It's time to close it. Close it. Anything else? We got any emergencies we want to get out? Any last minute announcements? 
No. no. Attack Overflow. Hopefully not an outage in two hours. Okay. Well, uh, yeah. By the time <laughs> you hear this. up tonight. Stack Overflow. Hopefully you didn't know this happened. Um, podcast, you've been listening to podcast number 41 from the Stack Exchange. Stack Overflow podcast. Remember, you can always find the show notes with links to all this awesome stuff at blog.stackexchange.com. You've been listening to me, Joel Spolsky, David Fullerton, Jay Handlin, special guests, Kyle Brent, Jeff Douglas, and Nick Craver, and producer Alex. Hey, bye. And we'll see you next week. No, wait. Didn't we decide we're going to do this every two weeks? Yes. Yeah, we're doing it in every two weeks. We have, so guest, we have some good guests scheduled. We have a guest in two up, weeks, though. don't we? We're doing it in every two weeks, and we're going to start scheduling in some better guests. Than... Wait, what was wrong with the guests we had? They today? were great uh, guests. These were excellent guests. Thank, thank you, excellent guests. Some of the best <laughs> we've ever had, I would say. We've actually we got just a really good guest last week, and it was just because the guy was walking by while we were recording the podcast. It is true. To be fair, the, the, our guests today were extremely sleepy because they've been pulling 16-hour days in the data center, wiring things. Yeah. Can, can we announce the guest in two weeks? No. Oh, that's sorry. not the Surprise. guest you're thinking of is not a guest in two weeks. Oh, who is? So I'm sorry. Yeah, we, we will we will not in fact be having Bieber in two weeks. It's it's <laughs> it's scheduled for a later date. And I'm sorry six I brought to, it up. Six I didn't to eight answer. weeks. Will Wheaton with special guest One Direction. Okay. Bye everyone. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Jeff and Nick have the same shirt, pants, jacket, and bags. Lindsay's. Well, we dressed warmly, and then it's hot in the data center, so uh, these are uh, company-sponsored uh, outfits. Yeah. Everyone needs to vote on who's the Arnold Schwarzenegger and who's the Danny DeVito. It's not clear at all to me, but I, I think we've got... Well, I don't know who's shorter. We're both pretty... I don't know, but neither of us have muscles.